All right, you guys, I wasn't able to get to this yesterday, but I couldn't let it go. So I may be a day behind on this, but it needs to be talked about. And I'm talking, of course, about KJ Wright's comments yesterday on his appearance on Seattle Sports 710, local radio. I will replay those comments for you in case you read them or heard them, but didn't see the video because body language is everything. And it speaks to some massive potential issues in the Seahawks locker room and some big questions about whether they can turn things around and compete for a playoff spot the rest of this year, but also the legacy and the future of Pete Carroll here in Seattle. I will react to KJ Wright's comments. We'll get into that, try to put it into context coming up today on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Vienz. Welcome in everybody. Once again, going live on this one um, because of some ongoing internet issues here at the studio. So if anything should happen to the feed while you're watching this live, it uh, looks like my connection on my hotspot is okay right now. Um, I will also be posting this on all the audio platforms as well. So if you prefer audio podcasts, uh, you can certainly check out the show on any uh, podcast app that you prefer. And if you want to listen to an ad-free experience, you can subscribe to the show on Spotify for just 99 cents a month. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure and like this video and subscribe to the channel. Uh, there's also a delay between uh, the streaming software that I use and YouTube. So if you do jump into the comments, uh, I should be able to reply to those. They might just be a little bit delayed. So I want to get right to this. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in and play. It's about three minutes from KJ Wright's show yesterday. If you are listening on audio, do yourself a favor and jump over Either, either watch this episode on the YouTube channel or you can go to Seattle Sports 710. I want to make sure I give him credit for, for this. Um, and it's Mike Salk interviewing uh, KJ Wright. He's on the Brock and Salk show, but it's, it's Salk doing all the questioning. And just a little side note here. I've, Salk's been in town for like 14 years. He left. He went back to uh, Boston. Uh, that didn't work out. He came back to Seattle. There's a lot of hate for Mike Salk um, amongst a lot of Seahawk fans and Mariner fans. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe my, just my background as a journalist is different. Um, I have a different perspective, but it's it, maybe the fact that he's not native to the area rubs some of you wrong. But I think hands down, he is the best radio journalist in this market. Um. And I, I appreciate the work he does. And he really did it with Pete Monday. He did it again today with KJ. He asked good questions and then he listens and he reacts and asks follow-up questions. So again, that in the, the video of this is also on their website if you want to check that out. So let's get right into it. It's about three minutes. I'll play it for you. Listen closely. Watch his body reactions. And then we'll talk about it. Is it the leadership on the football team? Is it is there is there not enough guys in there saying, let's focus to attention to details. Let's take this walkthrough seriously. Let's communicate during practice. Let's, um, hey, you messed up right here. You said this in the media. I'm going to you. Do this. Let's get it behind us and let's move forward. How many guys does that take? 
Out of curiosity. How many do you need? How many guys like that do you need? Voices in the locker room? Yeah. Four? Four. Four? I mean, I look at this team, and I would hope that Bobby is one of those Bobby voices. Bobby is one. I would assume that Quandre is one of those voices. That that's He's a captain. That's what he. That's the expectation. I would assume that Gino. I, I'll say this. There's not four. Let's, let's just say. Let's just be crystal clear. There's not four guys. Are there more than one? I mean, we've heard, Jordan, two. we've heard Jordan Brooks step up at times this year. Mm-hmm. We've heard that this is part of who Gino is as a leader, that that's part of his value. I don't know whether I'm seeing that right now. I mean, like, mm-hmm. there's supposed to be more than, I mean, the way this team was built, there's supposed to be more than just Bobby. No, there's there's not. There's Jaron not. Reed? Jay Reed, I can give Jay Reed that. I forgot about Jay Reed. Okay. So it may be, we may be pushing for, we may be, <laughs> you may be getting there when I think about it. But this team right now is they're just they're just so distracted. It's, it's not even about the opponents anymore. Distracted they're, they're, by what? They're fighting. They're fighting their own internal battles within the building. They're fighting guys buying in to what Coach Carroll is saying. You know what I mean? Well, I do because I asked Coach about that buy-in and that messaging, and this was his response. Do you feel like your message is getting through to the players? Ask them. Next. Been interviewing Pete for 14 years. I've never heard him answer a question like that at all. What do you make of that kind of a response from Pete? By the way, I don't disagree with him. It's hard for him to answer. I probably should be asking the players and not him. But I them. What do you make of that? Next, what I'm <laughs> man, what I'm hearing from Coach Carroll is that he's sick and tired of these guys. He's, he's extremely frustrated. He he feels like that he's preaching to them. He's trying to be nice with them, mm-hmm. but they're just not receiving his message well. They essentially don't, they essentially don't give a damn what he's saying at this point. And when I look at Coach Carroll, it's like you have to, because we bought in. Like we bought in during our time. We bought in. And if these guys are not buying in, if your message is not getting through to them, you have to just, let me sure I word myself properly. You have to do something. If you just continue to let this behavior continue, then people will see like, oh, he's not doing anything. Oh, he's not holding these guys accountable. You have to create some kind of shock in this building to show, hey, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. I'm, 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 I'm doing everything I can to connect with these guys. So much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> so many thoughts. Uh, first of all, I want to I want to know you think I want um, I want your comments. I want your feedback. The first thing, <laughs> where do I start? The first thing that that popped into my mind is I'm watching this again. This is about the tenth time I've gone through this, uh, but it's the first time. Also, a little side note that I that I noticed that I watched Brock. Uh, did you notice him shaking his head, rolling his eyes? Like as a guy who's been in NFL locker rooms, uh, been in Seahawk locker rooms, albeit obviously with different leadership, Mike Holmgren during his time here, he seemed bewildered, shocked, frustrated. Like, how did we get to this point? But my first thought is this, doesn't this sound familiar? Right? Talking about Pete's message being lost. And I want to dig into this a little bit. Seahawks win a Super Bowl. Right? They're the they're the class of the league. They're young and they're brash and they're hip, and they play with a physical style and they're fun to watch. And 
uh, massive support from the fan base. And it's a young team that was construct- constructed primarily through the draft. A couple of trades to bring in some veterans, a couple of key free agent signings. And then it starts to fall apart, right? And to hear them talking about how there's a lack of leadership and, and Salk even following up and saying, but, but this team was constructed to be this way. Think about how this current roster was built. Primarily through the draft. Using a lot of the resources gained in the Russell Wilson trade. Drafting higher in the draft than they've, than they've been accustomed to throughout their, uh, their tenure here, Pete and John. Loading this roster with young players. Sometimes those can be, those rosters can be a little directionless. Takes a little time for those leaders to emerge. But along the way, they also imported some veterans. And some veterans with some pretty strong personalities. Of course, I think one of the first people I thought about watching these comments, and I'm sure that a lot of you would probably concur is you think about Jamal Adams and what was given up to bring him here and things that, that we knew about him and that they, they should have known about him and taken into account when they acquired him. I, I'm sure what appealed to them was his play on the field, his demeanor on the field, how he just gave up his body on every play, flew around the football field, played with intensity. But we've heard more and more now, especially in the last couple of weeks, with his deplorable behavior on social media and attacking a a journalist and his family and then doubling down on it when asked about it, not, not being apologetic enough, not being contrite enough. that we should have seen some red flags. His time in New York basically forced his way out of New York and burned some bridges there. So you bring someone like that into the mix. Quandre Diggs was brought in a couple years ago, and and I found this, this is my my next point, that the first thing that really stood out when I watched this outside of uh, the Jamal Adams implications was when Pete is, is prodding, of course, KJ is going to say Bobby because he is a legendary leader. Everyone understands that. Even his one year in Los Angeles, you know, they raved about his leadership there when he didn't even have the emotional attachment that he, that he does here in Seattle. And of course, KJ and Bobby are very, very, very close. They're good friends. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes, interacted with them together. Um, And so he's not wrong there, but the struggle for him to try and agree on any of the other names that Salk was throwing his way until he finally throws Jaron Reed out there. But when he says, when Salk says Quandre Diggs was brought here for that, right? And KJ does that thing. Did you see his body language there where he's kind of, he didn't shake it off like this. He's kind of moving his head side to side like he's thinking about it. He's contemplating it, but he's not buying it. He doesn't agree. And so right off the bat, 
your first reaction has to be the two guys that they bring in and pay the most money to and, and throw the entire payroll structure of the roster out of whack by paying way too much to the safety group. And we've talked for years now, literally about the lack of production from those two guys, not matching up with their cap hits. And now for KJ Wright to sit there, a guy who let's, let's be fair in and of himself was one of the great leaders in that locker room. Backed it up on the field, talked the talk. For him to dismiss both Adams and Diggs as leaders on this team. But yet we know from the outside looking in that they're two of the loudest voices on the team. And so they're going to be influential in the locker room, positively or negatively. And you have this, this young roster that's looking for direction, trying to find their own footing. You can see those leadership qualities in Devin Witherspoon. Maybe he doesn't feel like he's at that spot yet where he can speak up because those two guys drown him out. And then Mike asks him about the quarterback. And I would, I would implore you to go back and watch that video three or four times. KJ's response when Salk says, well, Gino, we've heard that Gino is a leader in that locker room. That's what Mike says. And that's when you get the eye roll and the head shake from KJ. That could not be more pronounced without words. The only thing KJ could have done to be more, <laughs> more emphatic about how he felt in that moment was to speak up and say, no, Gino is not a leader. KJ's around this team. He's in that locker room. He knows these guys. He's involved. For him to react that way was shocking. So again, go back to, let's talk about the young roster. When you're looking for direction, when things start to go poorly, and these things get covered up by winning. It happened in 2014. It took a couple of years for the problems with that roster falling apart really came to a head, and it wasn't until they hit some adversity on the field. When you're winning, everything's fine. We've seen some championship teams in all different sports that had dysfunctional locker rooms. But they overcame that because they were winning. So now, you lose a close game to the Rams. Then you lose four straight. First time in Pete Carroll's time here. So now you start to question more things. You start to doubt more things. And these young players are looking for direction and leadership. And the, the three places that they're going to be most likely to look first, your quarterback, and then the two highest paid safeties, the highest paid safety combination in the league who are two of the loudest voices in the locker room. And you have KJ right here saying that they are not the leaders they should be. It's, it's shocking to me and it's, it's certainly discouraging. I can only imagine what it's like being in that locker room 
a comment from Maker here says, never heard Pete say something like that. The, the comments also do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen the full comments with body language on video from Pete's coach's show Monday with Salk, go back and look at that on their website as well. Because again, sometimes those things get lost in print and even in audio, you have to see how he reacts when he cuts Mike off. And for Mike to say he's never, ever heard or seen Pete react like that. He's frustrated. He's run out of answers. So now the next obvious point that we have to talk about is what does this say about Pete's leadership? What does it say about his future? A lot of you have wanted him fired for years, but especially over the last month or so. Two years left on his deal. 72 years old, be 73 next year. If he feels similarly to how he felt in 2017, 2018, that they needed to rid the roster of those negative influences. And remember, remember the things we heard from Michael Bennett back then, specifically that he would fall asleep in meetings, right? That he just tuned it out, that he got tired of hearing the same raw, raw speech from Pete over and over again, that it works on the young guys, but us old guys get tired of it. Is that what's happening here a little bit too? And if Pete feels like they didn't build this right over the last two, three years, and they have to tear it down again, start over with a young quarterback, get rid of Adams and Diggs. And, and I thought he was energized by the task and the prospect of, of rebuilding this thing without Russell Wilson. But now just two years later, we're facing some of the same issues. Is he up for that again? Because he not only has to be up for it in, in terms of thinking he can do it and wants to do it, but he also has to convince his owner that he's up for it. He was able to do that two years ago. There were There was a lot of reporting about, hey, Pete and John Snyder might be on shaky ground here. And then, from what we know now, Russell kind of forced the issue. And Jody chose. There was that meeting in January two years ago, and Jody chose to stick with Pete and John, and then Russ was traded two months later. Will she make that choice again? Does he have the energy and the desire and the motivation to convince her that he's up for the task? You're starting to hear some things from national media now. Albert Breer today, one of the best reporters out there covers the NFL. Mentioned today, no sourcing. He didn't talk about how he's hearing things, but he was asked about Pete Carroll. Will he was asked, will Pete Carroll be the Seahawks coach in 2024? And I thought it was interesting that Breer said, I'm not hearing anything, but I'm not as confident in that as as I have been for the last few years, that for the first time in Pete's tenure here, he senses that it's not a slam dunk. And certainly how these next four weeks go can help determine this. You can go two ways when there's adversity, obviously, right? You can rally around it, find a way to beat a struggling Philadelphia team, because make no mistake about it, I watched some of uh, Nick Sirianni's press conference today, and he's frustrated. He's getting questioning. 
about what's going wrong. Defensively, they're a mess. Former Seahawks assistant Sean Desai is under heavy, heavy scrutiny for his coordination of that defense as the DC there in Philly. And they're, they're, they were, they've been bad against the pass most of the year, which is surprising considering their talent, Darius Slay and all those guys they have up front. We know about Jalen Carter, Carter, who is probably now moved ahead of Devin Witherspoon for defensive rookie of the year. That'll be an interesting matchup to watch. Uh, but they were okay against the run, and that was kind of keeping things together. But now in the last couple of weeks, blowout losses. They get two chances to play the other two best teams in the NFC, Dallas and San Francisco. They get blown out. And now they're not stopping the run. That was one of their saving graces. Been terrible against the run the last couple of weeks, and their offense has fallen apart. And Sirianni's going to, I watched him get questioned today about how uh, a reporter asked him about how, why don't we see more motion? And Sirianni just got so, well, I was going to say flat. Fluster's not the word. He got, he was defensive and he was irritated. So things are not great there either. So you have two teams desperate for a win playing on a national stage. Just, I'm so happy that the league decided to flex Kansas City, New England out of there. I think that was the matchup. Um, but two teams also facing some adversity. There's also some thought that Jalen Hurts might not be 100% healthy, although there's no injury designation on him this week. So a fascinating matchup Monday. It's, again, if the, if the Eagles come out and play well, and Sirianni did say, hey, we just haven't played well or coached well the last two weeks. If they come out and play well Monday, and the Seahawks lose, especially if it's a close competitive game. I don't know that that's going to change any of this narrative because I think it's con it's it's considered um it's generally considered that the Eagles are a better better roster, certainly. But then it's the three games after that, right? Tennessee with Will Levis playing quarterback, Pittsburgh struggling, Mitch Trubitsky in for Kenny Pickett, they're falling apart. People are questioning the job Mike Tomlin's doing there. And then you finish at Arizona. If things go off the rail here over these next four games, I think we're going to look back on this week and some of the things Pete said. If you're going to make that statement, then you, in my mind, you not only bench Jamal. I think that's the obvious move here, right? You play Kobe Bryant at, at strong safety. And Quandra stays at free and Julian Love can play either one. So you have some depth there. You could elevate someone from the practice squad. You have Ty Okada, who has been elevated this year. And you have Jonathan Sutherland, who I talked about a couple of weeks ago, as a potential future solution there at safety, who had such a good preseason. Um, a lot of you might not even know that he was brought back to the practice squad because he was, he was released with an injury designation at the end of camp. Uh, but he's back in the fold. Rookie undrafted free agent out of Penn State. Anyway, if, in my opinion, if you're going to do what KJ's talking about there and do something shocking, try and shake these guys up, then you don't just bench Jamal. You have him inactive. That's how you send a message. You're not going to cut him now. Maybe you are. I mean, I guess that, I guess that would be the most shocking move, wouldn't it? But yeah. I would bench him. <laughs> I would have him inactive and I wouldn't have him on the sideline. I don't know. 
We'll see. Maybe that shakes up Jamal and he can turn things around. I don't know. There have to be other moves, I would imagine, as well. But that's the biggest one, right? Uh, the other one I thought of was um, Reek Woolen, perhaps. You know, Pete called him out on Monday, but then he went on uh, into more uh, depth in an interview I read this morning about how um, he doesn't think it's a it's an issue with Woolen's talent or ability to learn or be coached that he thinks he never really recovered from that knee injury in May that it messed with his confidence a little bit. Um, that they've seen signs that the coverage has gotten better in the last four weeks. You know, that he had to fight through some discouragement. He had a lot of big expectations from the outside in and also within himself this year in his second year to build on that great rookie year. And he had to fight through some of that discouragement. And then Pete thinks he's on the verge now. He's, he's got to fix the tackling issue. So I don't think you'll see a change there. Um, but I think all eyes are on Jamal Adams this week and what happens there whether he comes out as the starter on Monday. I think it's a crucial decision for Pete. He's got to get control of this locker room back. He's frustrated. I think he's pissed. I think it's more that than it is he's throwing his hands up and he just doesn't have any answers. It's a fascinating week. I think it's going to determine in large part what happens the rest of the year and, and thus could determine what happens heading into next year. And who might be coaching this team. But the Geno Smith comments ring uh, bigger to me than ever. If KJ feels that way, do others in the locker room feel that way? If your quarterback isn't one of your leaders, it's a problem. There have been quiet quarterbacks before that aren't very vocal. And they can lead in other ways. You just go about your business and how you do that on a daily basis. Man, if that's a huge void that someone else has to step up and fill if your quarterback isn't a natural leader. And if he's not, if he's not playing at an all-pro level, championship level, and he's not a leader, you know, I've been saying for weeks that it's time to draft a quarterback and pick your next direction. It only amplifies that. Uh, let's get over to the comments now and see what we've got. <laughs> Looks like his internet failed. Uh, I should be back for those of you. There's a delay. Uh, let's go, Nate. So with the players wanting to not work with Pete, maybe they want a new coach. I mean, that's the obvious inference, right? If the message isn't getting through, maybe the players just don't like the message. We know that Pete has a specific style. We also know, because we've heard it from other coaches, that he has some canned speeches that he rolls out and repeats during preseason, early in the year, when times are tough. And maybe even some of these young guys have heard it for the second or third year. And then they're also hearing from some of the veterans, man, here we go again. Maybe. If he's lost that locker room, sometimes you make coaching changes for that reason. Not because the guy can't coach or he doesn't know X's and O's. But because the message just doesn't work anymore. I think that's what happened with Mike Holmgren. I've talked about it before. When it was over for Mike Holmgren, it was over. He went from being one of the best coaches in the league to being 
inept, incapable of winning. I think there's some similarities here. Uh, Vince W. asks, I get that Adams could be playing bad due to lingering effects from his injury, but has he always been an issue in the locker room over, even in the last few years? We haven't heard it because he hasn't been playing. I think maybe behind the scenes he's been a problem, but he hasn't been on the field, so it hasn't impacted the team. He's been in a box watching the game. He hasn't been on the sideline, right? But again, we know that there's past bad behavior, for lack of a better term, but the Jets essentially burned his bridge and forced his way out. What do we always hear a lot around draft time, right? The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Not that people can't change. I certainly can sit here and raise my hand and say I have. Uh, but, it, but it's a valid question for sure. And now we're gathering more evidence, right? Uh, Nate shoots. I'm out on Pete. Our team hasn't done Jack in years. Pete has survived because of a Super Bowl win a decade ago. I think a lot of people are feeling, feeling that way right now. The side deserves the scrutiny. Not sure why he's so highly regarded. He hasn't done anything. It's interesting. You know, even his experience in, in Chicago is one year. I think he had the title of defensive coordinator there. Um, certainly wasn't, uh, world beating defenses i think it's his ties to vic fangio and um you know pete specifically brought him here because he wanted that fangio he wanted more of that fangio scheme certainly that hasn't worked out um maybe he's riding coattails a little bit um but i also think that from things that i've heard just the way he carries himself and his demeanor um you know my former co-host on the field goals podcast and my current co-host on the psf app dana o'gorman uh during the entire time that Desai was here, thought that he had a good chance to be the next Seahawks head coach, that he carries himself that way. And that uh, that, that may be something that um, gives him equity. He impresses people. Uh, but certainly the job he's doing on the field right now is under a lot of scrutiny in Philadelphia, and we'll see how that carries over to Monday. Uh, Nate also says, this is a winnable game, but even if we make the playoffs, we got to make changes. The only thing that would make me change my mind is a Super Bowl win. In that case, Pete probably retires anyway. All great points. And I agree. And I've been saying this for weeks. And, and until this locker room issue came up, you know, I was just judging by the eye test and what I saw on the field. And, and I do believe that, that the pieces are there for this roster to introduce a young franchise quarterback into it and be supported. You know? We see more often than not, quarterbacks get rushed into a bad situation. We saw it with Zach Wilson in New York. We're seeing it this year with Bryce Young. Talented, talented guys that that maybe under other circumstances, and certainly it's too young to make, it's too early to make a decision on Young. But guys can get ruined, basically knocked off track and never have a chance to get back on because you throw them in to a team that has a high pick for a reason. Bad offensive line, bad defenses, not enough weapons. This roster's in a good spot to introduce a young quarterback uh, into it. And I think that, that um, that's something that regardless of what's going on in the locker room that I'm in favor of next year, and it's going to be an ongoing narrative from me on this show. But now you have a former great leader of the Seahawks saying he doesn't think the current quarterback is a leader, then yeah, hell yeah. That's a huge red flag.
Okay. So Amy Holmes checked in and says, uh, sorry, I'm starting late, but KJ called out uh, Wagner, Jay Reed, and Diggs as the only leaders on his YouTube last night. So on his own show, which I haven't had a chance to catch up to yet. Um, remember when he was asked about Diggs by Salk, he did this. He was thinking. But he does say that Diggs is one of the leaders. Interesting. Thanks for chipping in with that, Amy. Uh, the defend Vince W. The defensive intensity certainly isn't there. If players don't believe in the scheme or the D line isn't holding up, would the secondary start tuning out? Just trying to understand. It does all work together. Certainly, it does. You know, if you don't get enough pass rush, guys have to cover more on the back end. Um, certainly, when you face the 49ers and that scheme and all their deception and motion. And uh, how good Shanahan is as a play designer and a play caller. Yeah, if you if the guys up front are getting getting penetration and, and impacting the play, making Brock Purdy have to move around, it makes the job a little bit easier on the secondary. Uh, no excuse, though, for the uh, Debo Samuel long play over Jamal. He even admitted it. I guess to his credit, admitted that he read it wrong and he got caught flat-footed. He even said those words. I got caught flat-footed. So I guess good on him for acknowledging that uh it just shouldn't happen um again apologize for the the lag that happened there for a minute i'm gonna wrap this up so that um don't run into that again hopefully you guys by next week i'll have that all straightened out it's just a it's a it's a way 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 bigger uh project than just uh swapping out a coax cable <laughs> because mine runs outside of the building i'm on the fifth floor and uh it's a mess it is a mess. So uh, fingers crossed for me. Certainly, I will um, continue to do live shows when necessary. Uh, I'll obviously be react reacting to the Monday night game. Um, and if anything else comes up over the next couple of days, I'll hop on. But check out the audio podcast. That's, that's something that's unaffected by this. And so uh, I'll do a couple more episodes throughout this week. Um, so whichever audio podcast you prefer, uh, get in on that and uh, subscribe so that you get notification of new episodes, okay? And if you are on Spotify, you want to listen without uh, ads, uh, you can subscribe for 99 cents a month. Um, that's going to do it for this show. Hit me up in the comments. Hit me up on, on uh, Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Let me know how you feel about this, what your thoughts are moving forward. And uh, man, this Monday night game just keeps getting more interesting all the time, doesn't it? Uh, until then, always follow me, like, subscribe to the channel. Forever and always, go Hawks. Let's try to stay positive. Let's get a win over the Eagles on Monday. It'll fix a lot of this, won't it? Talk to you then. Thanks, guys. Hey.